podcast this week depending on when you're listening to this episode of the high motor podcast thursday does mark 100 days until the scheduled start of the college football season if things pan out as scheduled 100 days from thursday until the now customary week zero seven games this year and i wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that it's it's fair to assume that if we do see college football in its entirety this year or even most of college football played in some capacity, it's fair to assume that a game like, if you look at the, the Week 0 schedule, a game like Cal-UNLV or even a UC Davis-Nevada, Hawaii-Arizona, those type of games that most fans may not have given a shit about in a normal year in which college football was not threatened, a game like that has far more interest with a new appreciation that we're actually watching college football after, what, six, seven months of the sport being threatened and with some announcement by schools Notre Dame among them South Carolina among them that the fall semester will start earlier than usual about two to three weeks earlier and then end at Thanksgiving so students would not come back after Thanksgiving it seems like a lot of other schools might follow suit in doing that so that students from these schools they're saying that they don't want the students on campus when some medical experts believe that another spike could come uh, in conjunction with flu season so when this broke My first question is, if they don't want students on campus, and I get that there's a difference between having 30,000 students on campus and a few hundred student-athletes, but still, if they don't want students on campus, are they good with student-athletes being on campus to practice, to play, to finish out the season, to start their season? Thanksgiving is November 26th this year, so whether or not they end the semester the week before or finals are, are that week of Thanksgiving, regular season football is still happening at that time, right? And I'm not even getting into college basketball, other sports, but, you know, college basketball, tons and tons of travel around that time, tons and tons of early season tournaments. But as far as football, if they don't want those students on campus, again, I get that there's a difference between 30,000 students on campus and 125 football players plus staff. But still, I think you have to ask, do they want student athletes on campus? They're not saying that yet. They're not saying that they're going to keep them on campus to play the regular season finale. We just assume that's happening with this schedule practicing for those conference championships, practicing for bowl games. If not, if they don't want them around, if that changes, and we're still a long ways out from this, could we see some shifting of schedules to whether that's matchup on potential bye weeks or maybe some conferences will move games to that week zero? If campus is open that early in August, I mean, we're talking about opening campus, I think Notre Dame was around August 10th or August 11th, moving it up two weeks. Classes are being held, campus is open. Might some schools maybe move that week 13 game to week zero and beef up that week zero schedule? Right now it's seven games. Could it suddenly be a 10 game week zero, 20 game week zero? If campuses are open, would that be an option? That's my question. You know, we've talked so much about scheduling changes this season, even as things look now as bright for college football as they've been for, what, two months now. If schools are changing that semester schedule, will they keep student athletes on campus? 
Is that the small enough population for student athletes for them to be okay with it? Or will we see those adjusted schedules? Like I said, maybe a conference can clear up week 13 by moving games and then have their conference championship Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe that could be a solution to that. Or maybe some of those low-level bowl games don't happen. Not sure who actually cares about the Cure Bowl, the the Boca Raton Bowl, and the Camellia Bowl is that first weekend. Maybe those bowls are moved up. Maybe those bowls don't happen. I mean, they, they have said that, like Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said last week, that we're not going to treat student-athletes differently. Whether or not you believe them, I don't know. But there are signs that, that point to the contrary. I mean, San Diego State, yeah, not part of the Pac-12, but San Diego State, their AD said last week that the plan right now is for football players to return first. Among all student-athletes, they're going to bring football players back. We're talking about 120, 130-some-odd players as a test case. Test case. He used those words. Test case by July 7th. There's still a ton of time to figure all of this out. I mean, we're still three and a half months away especially if we're talking about late November games, but it's an interesting dynamic that has emerged how these schools might, or they, they're going to. It seems like they're going to justify treating student-athletes differently, even though they say they're not, because of these financial pieces at stake, because they could be losing $70, $75 million from FBS school. I mean, one school, I think it was Oklahoma, who said that classes with 40 or more students will be moved online. Obviously, more than 40 players on a lot of athletic teams, most notably football, three times that, plus all the staff, support staff, trainers, all that stuff. Something to watch as all this unfolds. But for now, it looks like we are trending in the right direction. We are going to um, have some more real football talk on the show today. Going down to Florida to talk with Kurt Weiler, Florida State writer for the Tallahassee Democrat, on the show this week to talk ACC and Florida State football. And Kurt joins us now. And Kurt, on Monday, I quote tweeted a a tweet from Louisville about Louisville football by Alex Kirshner, formerly of Banner Society. I said, within a couple of years, it's going to be Clemson, Louisville, and Florida State atop the ACC for a long, long time. Am I jumping the gun with that proclamation? I would say in the short term, yes. I, 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 I'm with you on Louisville. I like Scott. Satterfield quite a lot. I like the hire they made it. I think what he did in year one was pretty remarkable from what they had the year before. I liked the Mike Norvell hire at the time when it was made too for FSU. I like what he's done since. I think that the, I still think they're going to look a lot better on the field next year. I also think that as is the case for really any first year coach kind of going through what they're going through now, where losing almost all of, if not all of spring practice for some schools they having to do all recruiting remotely. It, it is, I mean, probably worst case scenario for a, a team going through their first off season. So uh, I, I'm curious to see how much that will impact things. I do think Florida State will look better. I think, it, I mean, it'd be hard for them not to, but Mike Norvell is also inheriting, I would say, a less talented roster than Willie Taggart did when he arrived at FSU. So it'll be interesting to see what he's kind of able to make of it year one and how what's been going on the last couple of months affect that. Looking back at the last few years, you being down around that program, you know, telling us from 10,000 feet here, how truly bad were things within the program over the last three years? Willie Taggart made some very calculated mistakes, shall we say, from early on in his time with the program. I think it's tough because you look at him from kind of day one, introductory press conference and all that. A, it was a job search that was done very quickly. It was a, it was a, I don't want to say hastily done replacement search but they they 
found out for sure Jimbo was gone, and they th- had inklings in the days before, and very quickly found their guy. They took a lot more time this time, and I think that's paid off for them. Um, Taggart said a lot of the right things in that press conference, really won over the, the, the FSU fans, the, the media, a lot of people with what he said. It felt very much like he said a lot and maybe was told or, or t- encouraged to say things along lines of what FSU fans wanted to hear of what they thought was wrong with the end of the Jimbo era. They wanted better fourth down math. They wanted tempo. They wanted things like that. And you heard about Willie Taggart, the recruiter, and you saw his track record of turning around programs. I think a, a, a couple things you look at that went wrong for him. I think he hired a staff that was an appropriate staff for a lot of his previous stops. And it was a staff that was largely in over their heads at Florida state. I think you look at, he didn't do well to temper expectations. I think in his first off season, he talked a lot how his big thing was, this isn't a rebuild. It's a realignment because Florida state was coming off a year where they had to reschedule a postponed game to extend their bowl streak. And they were, I think seven and six the year before went to the independence bowl. It was not a memorable year by any means. And I, he kind of built up that, that he was going to quickly kind of get FSU back to that. And he believed in that. And I get that. But the problem is when you, when you talk that big, you've got to deliver. And from the first game where they got blindsided by what Virginia tech at home lost 24 to three. And it really didn't even seem that close. It was, I think it very quickly showed how much was wrong. And I mean, he never truly got it on track. And I, I think Florida state fans largely, I think they feel bad. I think there are some, obviously they're going to be, hold kind of hate or contempt in their heart for that on the whole i think people feel bad and wanted willie to succeed because by all accounts a very nice guy by all accounts did nothing to kind of deserve how things played out at florida state but and and you feel bad for a guy losing his quote what he says is his dream job Uh, he grew up a florida state fan but uh, he you look at i mean really from day one uh, on this management of sorts and a it seems like as things got worse he just he, he was struggling to stay afloat and it felt even more and more just that he was just in over his head. And that I, I would say did him in going back to that Virginia tech game that you mentioned. I mean, I mean, looking back now, it's really easy to point to that game and just say, well, that happened. And they never really covered from that. Can we overstate the importance or significance of that, uh, that Virginia tech game at that point, was it just so, so hard to recover from that with all the press conference stuff that you mentioned, we're going to come in here and do all these great things. At that point, when you combine it with the Virginia Tech game, is it just it became so hard to recover from that, or it could have been done and it led and it was just other mistakes down the road that ultimately led to him being gone after just two years? I think there were things he he could have done. I I, I will say in terms of the fan base, I think he garnered so much goodwill his first off season and blew through probably all of that or nearly all of that by the end of that Virginia Tech game. And even more damning loss where people were very concerned because you didn't know how good that Virginia Tech team was and, and they were ranked. And they is weeks later when you go up and nearly, I think two weeks after that, maybe three, where you, they went up and almost got shut out at Syracuse. And it ended, that Syracuse team ended up being good. But at the time, you didn't think that's not a team that's historically been good. They really haven't had a ton of success beyond just making bowls since they joined the ACC. And I mean, you got blindsided by that team and Syracuse players after that game were saying, we knew we were the better team. And I think that was the real, the real eye opener, even more than to show, Oh, that Virginia tech game. Wasn't just a, uh, a fluke. I think no doubt. I think the miscalculations at first started, I think he, it's tough. I mean, you look at the first off season and obviously Walt Bell is often the coordinator leaves to take the UMass head coaching job, which 
is hard not to see as a as a downgrade, I would say, to go from offensive coordinator at a place like Florida State to head coach there. Even if it's a head coach, that is one of the least desirable head coach jobs probably in the, all of FBS. And he replaces him with Kendall Bryles, and it felt like a move that and, – and I will say, I think some of this is on Florida State in terms of they, they didn't entirely want to uh, get the big-name coordinators when Taggart first got hired that first year, and I think they, they paid for that. and They tried to make up for it year two. And you saw some improvement. The, the numbers back up some improvement, especially on offense under Kendall Bryles with new offensive line coach Randy Clements. But it felt like the damage was done. It felt like Florida State fans really, I think, entered year two hoping to see something. But I think a lot of them by the end of year one had kind of made their minds up of, well, we're just going to have to ride these hopefully, what, three years because you don't normally see coaches fired in less than three or so years. And and we'll have our next coach by then. But, I mean, things went so badly and the Florida State standard so high that he didn't even make it through two full years. For all of the public beatings that, that Willie Taggart has taken over the last two years, going back before him, how much blame does Jimbo Fisher deserve for 2017 and then leading into the last two years? Um, It's both. I, the longer Taggart's time went on, the less people were willing to blame Jimbo. Jimbo, he left an academics mess that FSU was still dealing with. I mean, the APR comes out soon and FSU should be greatly improved. But I mean, they were the worst among all power five last year in football academic progress rate. And I mean, only a couple points above not being bowl eligible, which is kind of crazy. And that's, so that was something that was Fisher's fault. Fisher offensive line recruiting in particular. I mean, obviously that's still a problem for FSU. It's, I think you're finally starting to see it get better and they're building for the future a little bit, but it's been a significant problem really for the last, at least three years and honestly, maybe even a couple more dating back to the end of Fisher's time. And that is a thing. I, I mean, it, it's it, the last season was a problem. It very much, especially looking back now, seems like Fisher had a foot entirely out the door, knew he was going somewhere. It was just a matter of where. And, and was, you want to say phoning it in maybe far more than a coach getting paid as he much as, as much as he was was but you never saw really much of any progress under tagger and at a certain point it blame for that has to go to him too did he maybe inherit a, a, a worse card than he thought when he took the job absolutely but uh, he didn't do much with that hand how did Mike Norvell's arrival compare to Willie's, Willie Taggart's arrival? How did the feeling around that, taking a little bit more time with that search, um, what was the feeling around Norvell as opposed to Taggart? It's a tough situation. I mean, as I said, the Florida State fans really bought in all in on what Taggart was saying two years ago, and they were they thought they had their guy for the future, and that first offseason was an offseason of really positive buzz in a lot of ways. And so because they kind of got so badly deceived, they feel, and kind of got burned by that situation, I, you felt a certain amount of skepticism from the Florida State fan base in terms of entering the Norvell press conference. They were like, well, we're just not going to believe, and we're not going to fall hook, line, and sinker for everything he says because we got burned last time. And then the Norvell presser happened, and it honestly, as someone who was sitting there, felt like he kind of gave a Sunday sermon, and he won just about everyone over I, People are still waiting. There is a certain amount more of holdout that uh, that that just they want to see it on the field whenever that does happen, just because of last time and that they bought in before even seeing a game and then were very badly wrong. But it felt like pretty instantly 
people felt that you could even in the first off season when it was largely good PR, there were things that you were like, well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. Honestly, I, you haven't seen that in this off season. You've seen a much more smoothly operated program. You've seen a, a staff that seems far more to know what they're doing. I mean, Norvell more than Taggart. Taggart had his strengths as a recruiter, as a, a lot of things. He was not especially regarded as a football mind. Well, Norvell, you'll hear from about Norvell. He's not a guy who's often kind of out schemed, out prepared, out all of that. And that's, I mean, if he can do that, plus work on recruiting, which for it being his first off season and, and having to kind of do it all virtually like he is and not getting any of the in-person visits the last, what, two plus months. It, it is, uh, it, it's been a largely good season where he's garnered a lot of goodwill from a fan base that was hesitant to give it to anybody. You mentioned the Open, you know, looking ahead to Florida State just this season and long term. Starting with the, the near future, what type of situation can we expect from Florida State in terms of wins and losses this year? I mean, do you believe this is a, yeah, might things look even worse or just about the same before they actually get better? Or will this be an immediate improvement season? Uh, if you ask me, a lot of that hinges on who ends up being the quarterback. I think you look at Norvell and his staff, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham and really all of them have an interesting dilemma and some of it hinges on kind of when and how the season happens of you've got an established guy in James Blackman who has been the quarterback large parts of the last three years I mean he the year in between he wasn't a full-time starter but he played some and backing up DeAndre Francois he started most of last year and he started almost all of the 2017 year Jimbo's last year so he's the established guy but I think at a certain point He's been dealt a raw hand no much, no, no, no doubt. You feel very bad for James Blackman because this will be his fourth offensive coordinator in four years at FSU, and I'm sure part of his kind of lack of development people thought they'd see from him has been because of that, but he's never really become what you thought he could be. I think Florida State fans kind of think he is what he is at this point, and you've seen some anticipation from some people of, of starting one of the incoming freshmen, probably more likely the four-star out of Arizona who they pulled at the last minute, Chubba Purdy. I think if you go with Purdy, it, it, no doubt, because you're starting a true freshman, not every true freshman is going to be Sam Howell. It might negatively affect your short term in terms of number of wins. But I think in the long term, there's no doubt that it, it could be a more positive for them if, if they go that route, just because Blackman only has two years of eligibility left. As to where Chubba Purdy has as many as four, so I, that plays a role. I, it, it's an interesting schedule. It'll be interesting to see if the schedule stays. I mean, it's a tough non-conference schedule. West Virginia Atlanta is no cakewalk. At Boise is is a tough road game that return. I'm skeptical either of those games happen. You've seen a lot of kind of people looking at regional scheduling and doing things more like that, or maybe only conference games. Like everyone's talked about it. We don't know much. Some of the wins losses depends on that, but I, I mean, if they got with the schedule, with the state of the roster, with all those things, if the season goes on as normal, if they got eight wins, I think there would be a real sense of optimism going into year two that this is the man for the job and that it's really headed in the right direction for the first time in a little while. Looking at long-term, what's the long-term expectation for Florida State football? I mean, let's say five years from now, where do you think they are expected to be? What, you know, that's the administration expects them to be there, university leadership. Where is this program expected to be five years from right now? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it is a high expectation. I mean, you look at the, uh, you look at the, the bowl streak FSU had that only ended two years ago. You look at the winning season streak. You look at what Bobby Bowden 
had them as really as the 80s into the 90s, into the 2000s. You look at what Jimbo took them to again. It's a program that has been spoiled by its extremely consistent level of success that's, I mean, unparalleled in terms of, of number of consecutive seasons like they've had until recently. So I, you need time. I mean, obviously, Florida State expectation at the very least is, regardless of how Clemson is, be competing with them in division every year. And obviously I think they've lost, uh, they've lost, they lost five straight to them. I think that's right. I think they've lost everyone since 2015 to Clemson. And I mean, obviously they're in terms of roster composition, in terms of how established they are, they're nowhere close right now. I think five years is a realistic timeline where if things go well for Novell, that they, they are in a position where roster talent wise, they will hopefully be in line with Clemson because the truth is it, who knows what Clemson will be in terms of if Venables is still there in terms of if the oh, other members of the staff are still there and if they're still recruiting at the insane clip that they are. But I think Florida state with its recruiting base, with the coaching staff and the belief they have in them now should be in a place in five years that where they, they don't have to beat them every year, but I think they, they are expecting at the least competitive games and solidly right there with them one two in the division every year because if you're there you're in the national title picture to an extent going to to a wider wider lens here last episode a frequent co-host chase kitty and i talked about the big tens playoff outlook chances uh, for the foreseeable future ohio state you know being the heavy favorite to make the playoff from that conference this year and in the future uh but then we were talking about who's number two i mean is it penn state is it michigan is it wisconsin if that same conversation is had for the ACC, similar dynamics with that dominant force in Clemson, but who's number two in over the next three or five years? Who's the second most likely team from the ACC to reach the playoff in the next five years? Is it Florida State? Is it Louisville? Is it somebody else? That's a tough one. I mean, the thing is, the thing with Louisville, and don't get me wrong, I, 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 as I said earlier, I'm high on Satterfield. As big a jump as they made last year, I feel like you don't often see in the numbers making after a jump that drastic from what two wins to what eight or nine, you don't often see another jump after that. You see something of a, of a step back. Just it's hard to build on a season that far. I know the numbers kind of back that up. So I, I, Louisville, no doubt is I think in the conversation. I mean, I think Florida state more on the five year timeline than the three, just in terms of where the roster is at. And it's going to take some time to get in a place for competing clubs. I mean, frankly, no one is in a place right now to be competing with Clemson and no one's roster is, is it looks there. I mean, I, I think the, the soonest you will see a, a real competitor to Clemson will be towards the end of that five-year time frame, unless, unless uh, I mean, things happen with Clemson with regard to their coaching staff or anything of the sort. I think UNC is another name to throw in there. Just, I mean, you can't deny what Mac Brown, I think in the short term, they might be the best bet. Because you saw what they just had from Sam Howell, a true freshman, and you figure he's only going to get better. And he had a very impressive uh, true freshman season for the Tar Heels. And obviously he uh, was almost a Florida, he was a Florida State commit for most of that process. And that's kind of a, a the situation where you look back at it, what could have been for Florida State, because they would have been no doubt much better last year if he was quarterbacking them. But I think UNC in the short term might be the best answer just because they've got the quarterback, which is probably the biggest thing you need. I mean, they almost beat Clemson last year. You can follow Kurt on Twitter for Florida State uh, Football, ACC Football Hoops News, at Kurt M. Weiler, and online at com, Tallahassee.com. Hey, Kurt, thanks for the time. Take care this week. Hey, thanks so much for having me.